Okay, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. I will be reading Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. Luke 10, 25 to 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Let's pray. Father, I covet the the gift of the Holy Spirit, the protection that protects my lips from speaking error. May you help me unfold and expose what is here this morning. May you help us all to have ears not merely in our minds, but also of our hearts that are moved and that are affected by the work of Your sovereign grace in our lives through it. To the glory of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, I know that this dialogue that Jesus is having with this lawyer, which doesn't mean lawyer in the sense of we think today. It means he's pretty much a professional theologian trained in the law of Moses. I know the dialogue goes all the way down to verse 37. And that Jesus nails this guy by using the Good Samaritan parable. But this morning, what I want to do is just to concentrate this week on the truth of what is at center here. The two great commandments that are the essence of all of God's law. Dealing with this passage can be a little tricky. Because this guy comes up to Jesus, and Luke lets us know, to test him. But he does come up. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then, of course, Jesus gets him to give the answer. Quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the two great commandments. And Jesus said, that's right. In other words, that is how you get eternal life. That is how your life, future particularly, will be good and not bad for you. And so, was Jesus teaching that someone could obey these commandments and gain or inherit eternal life? The answer, I think, is this. Yes. And no. Yes, in this sense, if it were possible for any human being to keep these commandments without fail, 
sinlessly to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, their soul, their strength, and their mind, and to overflow and love other human beings just as they care and love themselves, then it would be evidence that that person possesses eternal life. It, it, would, be, it would be evidence that that person's eternal future is looking really good with their Creator. So it's yes in that sense. But, it's no in this sense. There is, and has been, no human being who has ever lived up to the demands of these two great commandments. Except one man. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at these commands that Jesus affirms here, and we know that elsewhere in Matthew and Mark, these are central to Jesus, because when He's asked the question, what's at the core of how we live life? What's the law about? His answer is exactly the same. These two great commands. He even says, these two great commands of loving God and loving your neighbor as you love yourself are the essence. They sum up all of the law and all the prophets and what everything is leading to. So what do we make of it? I think two things. As we lovingly by the Savior are confronted with these two great commands, the first reason is this, that we are meant to feel the impossibility of it because of our sinfulness. In the context, remember, Jesus we will see next week, he defeated this lawyer in front of him. You, you answer correctly. Go. Live it. You'll have life. And that guy got really defensive, and that's what Jesus was after. Who's my neighbor? Because he knew the mirror is in front of him. And it points out our brokenness and our sin. I think that's why Jesus does it. But not only. The second reason why He gives us these commands is the essence of how we walk and how we live is because, as we saw last week, remember where we left off, God's unconditional election. No one knows the Father except the Son. And those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Okay. So therefore, those where, who have been so graced by God to have our eyes opened in the hearing of the Gospel and to embrace the Lord Jesus as our Savior, this is the point of these two commandments now, they are being realized Never perfectly, never fully, but in seed form. To love God and to love others is genuine and it's real. Even in this mortal, sinful life. And thus, it is possible to have genuine love for God right now. Never flawless and never perfect, but and also to have genuine loving of your neighbor. They are, by definition, according to the Gospel, those whom Jesus is saving. 
And out of the blue causes you to be born again. And thus faith arises. You have been justified by faith. Now, until you hit the grave, this is called sanctification. And these two commandments are at the core of what is being produced in you. To one degree or another. And therefore... The second point, not just a mirror shows my sin, I am doomed. Yeah, you are. Thank God for Christ. But now, as we stand on Christ in His righteousness for us, God is working in us the essence of these commands throughout our life. And therefore, these commands are to be the pursuit of every Christian. Now, I say this, because in the context of Luke chapter 10, remember, He just showed us there is no human being who knows God. Except the Son. If that's true at that point, by definition it's impossible for us human beings who have fallen into sin to love God. Much less with all your heart in your soul, and your strength, in your mind. We cannot accept for those whom Jesus chooses to reveal the Father. And now they know Him. Remember how Paul said in Galatians, you have come to know God, believer. Oh, and then he stops, rather to even be known by God. And so who are those people whom Jesus chooses? We are, by definition, undeserving, sinful, wrath-deserving creatures whom Jesus is saving. Therefore, in any measure of obedience that these commands... Have you ever loved God in any way genuinely? Okay, I think you have if you're a Christian. By definition, that love for God... Oh, if it spills over in serving another and loving them, by definition... Those actions can never be understood as having merited or earned eternal life. Remember, this lawyer was totally, we'll see this next week, confident. He was not saying, Jesus, I really want to get to heaven. Help me understand the teaching. He's trying to trick Jesus, trip him up, catch him. That's what he's doing. Jesus knows it. Jesus knows this guy thinks he's okay with God. But Jesus knows he's not. Jesus knows he can't obey this commandment. As he would have his apostle Paul later write in Romans 3, where this Jewish lawyer is trusting in his Jewish legalism, Paul would write, What then? Are we Jews any better off than all the non-Jews? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And Paul goes on, For we hold that a person 
is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Apart from your ability to love God and love others, which is the essence of the law. And so, Jesus was using, first of all, with this lawyer, the law of God summarized in the two great commandments. He was using it as a mirror. You've answered correctly. Go for it. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor just as you love yourself. (laughs) Jesus knew the effect it was supposed to have. Despair. And so the guy tried to be defensive and, and to justify himself. Jesus trapped him. Like in his mercy, he's trapped any of us. See, the point is that, as Jesus, remember, he's on the road to Jerusalem. The cross is central to the Gospel of Luke. The point is that at the cross, the eternal God-man will be sacrificed. And he will put away the guilt of all whom he is saving. And so the guilt of breaking these commands and the punishment for it is slaughtered in the person of Jesus. And He's raised from the dead to justify us. That's what happened at the cross. Okay, we got that? I'd just like to just pause for like two hours and say nothing. Okay, okay. that's not all that happened at the cross. What else happened at the cross is that He brought your entire Salvation. In other words, it is true that if you believe in the message of what happened in Jesus Christ and you cling to Him, you will be saved. As we saw last week, He also purchased your believing. That's why you believe. Not only did He purchase your initial believing, He purchased your persevering faith throughout life which is the essence of what the Bible calls sanctification. He purchased that. Got that? Okay, theology minds. Let me just say it this way now with this text. What that means is, he purchased the ability of these two commands to actually be experienced in your life. Never perfectly, never fully here. One day, without sin, they will be. Now, we just have tastes of it. And the call of the walk of faith is at its core to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And to love horizontally your neighbor as you love yourself. So let's look at the great two commandments. Love God. We'll come back to that in a minute. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're going to see biblically, and particularly in the Christian life, these are inseparable. They're distinct, they're not the same. But they are inseparable. If we really slow down and take the words of Scripture, of Leviticus here, Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus affirming it. This is 
the second great commandment, we should feel the weight of how radical this is. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, Jesus, what He's doing, He he doesn't have to tell you to love yourself. He made you that way. The, the, The reason why when you hand gets over the fire, you pull it back, is because you love yourself. You hate, therefore, you hate pain. You want, you want comfort. We're made that way. And so, Jesus, with these commands, what God is doing in Scripture, with Leviticus, is saying, I know how I'll get over to them the essence of loving others. I'll start with what everyone understands. A given Everybody is constantly after, ultimately, their own welfare. Loving, coddling ourselves. It's so true of me. Every single person has a powerful drive and desire of self-love, self-preservation. We are all seeking happiness, satisfaction, comfort. We we yearn for food when we haven't had it for a while. We yearn for health, for security. You want friends? Brings happiness. You want family? The comfort that that brings. You want purpose in life? Oh, purposelessness in life is so driven people to misery. He says, I've got to get out of my misery, which is a way of loving yourself that they will kill themselves. We're all made. It's instinctual to move and to act and to will out of self-love. All this is loving yourself. And so Jesus says to us, His sheep, I'll start with what you know so well. The way you were made. And let me just say, In and of itself, that self-love is not evil or sinful. To the extent that our self-love has become infected by our sin, to that extent it gets exposed by this biblical command. Hope you feel it with me. Love your neighbor as, meaning in the same way you are driven to love yourself. Which at its core, it comes to to me. As as you feel and sense a need for nourishment and and food and to have that, with that sense that you have for yourself, yearn to have that desire and for another person who's hungry. As you desire friends, so desire friends for others and to be a friend to other. As you like safety and to get away from danger, desire for your neighbor created in God's image what you desire for yourself in safety from danger. In other words, make all of yourself seeking the measuring rod of what it is to love 
others. That feels really overwhelming. Love your neighbor as. I mean, the Greek word is hos. It means as. It means in the way in which you are constantly seeking your own happiness and well-being. In that same way, seek it for other people. When you're hungry, and you really feel it, and you yearn for it, it's amazing how we feel that within five hours of not having eaten. But a lot of people don't have enough food. It means when God puts people in front of you, feel it and do something about their hunger. As you desire relief from that toothache, you know what that feels like? I know. More drugs. Get me to a dentist. Drill on me. Do something. Yank it. Give me a root canal. You're desperate to get out of pain. The command means desire, feel that energy on behalf of the other person who's experiencing that pain of a toothache. Okay, if this command just sits there alone, even for those of us who are being redeemed by Jesus and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in us and He's left us with our sin, we're still sinful, this command feels almost literally, totally impossible to live that way. Because if it's true that the way in which we love ourselves is constantly seeking our welfare, our happiness, emotionally, physically, or whatever else that is, and if you really think about it, I, if you've got a challenge to those comments, I'd love to hear them because I just never heard one that worked. That somehow... It seems as if, oh, yeah, okay, i got to love my neighbor as I love myself. Oh, but I'm loving myself, and that includes lots of things. I get enough sleep. got to sleep. There's only so much time in the day. And in other times, it means, oh, it's downtime. It's time for me to be relaxed on the couch. And, and I'm loving myself. I'm caring for my well-being. I can be better up to people. And Slurpee's in my mouth. And the phone rings. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. That person needs something from you, and all of a sudden it feels like it just defeated my drive for my own happiness. Okay, you, you like me? You ever feel this? That's my constant battle. That's why, here's my contention, that's why the first commandment is the first commandment. Precisely because of that tension. You shall love the Lord your God. This is vertical now, before horizontal. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's the first commandment. And then you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, if our real, ultimate happiness is found in time, space, money, mammon, things, experiences, 
down here in this mortal life, they culminate and end on those gifts of God, then this commandment seems to radically undo our natural drive for our own happiness. Constantly. And I just think that's impossible. But what removes that threat, biblically, is the first commandment, which is never done perfectly, and therefore this is always the battle of the Christian life. The first commandment is the first commandment because it's the foundation to the second commandment to love others. The command to love others biblically in those who have been brought to saving faith in Christ and justified in the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And now the constant, loving, merciful command because it's ultimately for our good and joy is love God. With all your heart, your mind, your soul. And the second commandment, therefore, is the overflow of you being satisfied in an unending well, an eternal well. You can't love God and mammon. That's why Jesus says it. It's the difference between idolatry and worship. Therefore, the call of the gospel in our lives working itself out, the call of these two great commandments is to make God the focus of our own self-love. Meaning, our own drive for satisfaction, for happiness. And to the extent we do that, I think we're more ready to actually see the experiences of genuine love overflowing and meeting the need of other people. Okay, I mean, I'm going to pause at this moment and just re-say everything I did through Blaise Pascal. In the 1600s, the mathematician, some of you know this quote, but here it is summed up. And as he observed human life as a believer, as a philosopher, as a mathematician, I just think he's just right on. It's the way it works. When he said, quote, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding going to war is the same desire in both. Just attended with different views. The will of man never takes the least step but to this object. This is, that is, seeking happiness or the absence of pain. This is the motive of every action of every person, even of those who hang themselves. Okay, so Pascal observes the essence of the way we're made. And he goes on to observe this, and here's our problem. 
Quote, There once was in mankind a true happiness of which now remain to him only the mark and the empty trace. This would be the God-shaped vacuum. Which he, mankind, he in vain tries to fill from his surroundings. Seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in all the things that are present. Okay, let me just stop. What he's saying is that's why some of us are drunks. That's why some of us are dope addicts. That's why some of us are driven to get more and more money. That's why some of us are driven to sinful sexuality, etc., 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 etc. We're seeking satisfaction as fallen creatures in all the wrong places. He goes on. But all of these, or but these are all inadequate. Because the infinite abyss in our souls can only be filled with an infinite and immutable, unchangeable object. That is to say, only by God Himself. End quote. I think he's right on. And, th- and that's why, that apart from Christ, the command to love others as we love ourselves is radically threatening. <laughs> what are you talking about? Is everything's finite. There's only so much time, only so much resources. I gotta use everything for me. Now, you might get blessed once in a while just because you maybe helped me get my drugs or something. Everything is finite. And therefore, the state of man in the fall is that we're doomed. We can't make any genuine movement toward actually loving others as we love themselves. We're always using them as means to our end. Okay, that's, that's the state we've all been born in. As we go through life, through God's mercy, something happens. Bam! Ephesians 2 comes. And it's realized in your life if you're a believer. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. That's the difference. Or as Jesus said, and we saw it last week, in verse 22 of Luke 10, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. See, Jesus makes God the Father known to us. As our loving Father. All because of His work. And when that happens, you can call it new things in the Bible. He called you to faith. Regeneration. New birth. That is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6. Which is part of this new covenant promise. 
Quote, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So at new birth, I don't know what age you were, a 19 year old lost kid and then the gospel in the person of Jesus and on the cross just appeared to me so sweet. Okay, see how I said it? That's what happens. But God in Ephesians 2 means you saw the kingdom, the rule, the reign of God in Jesus Christ as the treasure in the field. He was irresistible to your heart. And you find out Looking at Scripture, look what happened. Eternal life for me is secured. Here's the point I want to just rest on this moment. This first commandment. This vertical love for God, before we get to love for neighbor, is at its core, not an action. Not things you do. It is at its core a response of our affections for God. It's like loving cheesecake. You either do or you don't. Okay, let me just pick something like for me. It's like, it's like here I am in sin. And here's the command. Love green beans. I might eat them. I might act, you know, if I got a parent that's forcing me to. But I don't like them. This is the command of the gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love cheesecake. So, like we did not love God, some people don't love cheesecake, and you can't just make a decision to love it. You might go to church, you might do actions, you might say the right words. At the core of the command, we are desperate to have a fundamental change in our affections, in our heart, in our spiritual taste buds, so that, whoa, I do like green beans. What That looks impossible, but they're onions. I like onions now. I didn't like those when I was a, a kid. That fundamental change is new birth. It is the coming and the indwelling of God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. The point is this. Loving God is at its very root. The root. The second commandment is the fruit on the tree of loving others. They're not the same, but they are inseparable. What I want to do, I just want to read from 1 John for about two and a half minutes. Okay? Numbers of text from chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. And just why does this permeate the Apostle John so much at the core of, of what the Gospel is and who Christians are or who aren't? Starting with chapter 2, John writes in 1 John 
Just listen, because I'm not going to give the citations. Whoever says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is still in darkness. Or, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him? How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In chapter 3. And this is His commandment. Here we go. That... We believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's at the core of the commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus just proved that. He just constantly said, You don't know God from a hole in the wall, my fellow Jew, because you reject Me. The essence and the evidence of person knowing and loving God the Father is the reception of Jesus. And so it just comes to summary here with the Apostle John and this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And love one another, just as He commanded us. In chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God, and knows God. Sounds very familiar to Jesus' language, right? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How? That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. That's what we saw last week. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. One more. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother in Christ whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Those two are just always connected, but don't confuse them. At the core of loving God 
It's a heart issue. A heart affection issue. That if you're a normal Christian, we're desperate to pursue. Because of our sin. Yes, you will feel in your heart miles away from enjoying and delighting and treasuring and thanking God. Just be honest with it. That's what prayer is. And you move through the means of grace, through Christian fellowship, through the Word of God. We'll we'll move again together this morning in Holy Communion. You move to God. Break the hardness of my heart and the fallow ground. This This is the essence of the Christian life. If you have 73 years from new birth to the grave, that never stops being the battle of the Christian life. But at the core, the first commandment is not about, in and of itself, these actions. It's about our heart. Remember how Jesus looked at His fellow Jews and He said, this people with a lot of religiosity, a lot of actions. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what I mean. Oh, look, heart does actions. When I love my wife with my heart, actions spring, but the actions are not identical. To the affections. You're getting the point. Okay, so this commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. It means, here's the movement, that every faculty of our being should be, we should seek it to be moved by a Affections for God. To love God with all your, he says, heart. That means that emotional desire factory. Things you feel. Not merely think. He's going to get to the think. But it means your heart. It means down deep in there. Moving. Yes, I see more clearly. Wow. God, your presence is sustaining and it's good. To love God with all your soul, that highlights the whole dynamic of life. Soul, sukes, this weird word. It's your heart, your soul, your whole inner being, all of it, what that means of your life. Love Him with it. To love Him with all your strength, your dunamis, your, your, your physical energy, power, maybe even your mental energy, power. Just love Him with all. The point is, the command gets at, there's, there's no aspect of your life that, okay, this part has nothing to do with God. and Particularly, the last one there too. Love Him with all your mind. That means, love Him. Delight in the riches of the knowledge and the insight and the wisdom that God gives to you as He's revealed Himself in Holy Scripture. Your mental capacity is active in this loving God. In other words, 
I just sum it up. He's saying, take all of your drive for happiness. Take all of your drive, that is that self-love, all your longings for, for your true, real heart joy, for soul satisfaction. Take all your bodily energy to, to grab for yourself hope, security, significance in life. Take all of that. And know there's only one who could truly satisfy it. Focus it in your personal relationship with the Holy Trinity. God your Father, in Jesus, through Jesus, and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You don't do that yesterday for tomorrow's challenges. This is the dynamic the Christian life. Focus it again and again and again and again until He satisfies your whole heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The first great commandment, it takes broken, sinful, undone, finite, persons and transforms our self-love into finding the satisfaction of that ultimately in God, in the well of God's water. It's bottomless. It doesn't come to an end like everything else does. And to that extent, that I want to just say it this way. You never do it perfectly. But to the extent that's happening on Tuesday is to the extent we're free to love others as we love ourselves. It breaks that sense of, man, if I've got to love them, then I've got to totally abandon my joy and my happiness and my satisfaction. And biblically, it's not true. Our problem is that we're not loving God and we are idolatrous so easily. Finding and making people and things the goal of our happiness instead of God. So you focus all of that energy on God. That's the first commandment. And then Jesus says, take that self-love, that drive for your true happiness that you are experiencing in God, and use that as the measuring stick on how you love other people. So, As we do this, in this mortal, broken, never perfect life, yes, we're finite, we're needy, we feel all these things. In a way, we won't feel them one day in the resurrection. As you feel all of that, you you hate pain, you love comfort, you really like to rest in hope and peace, okay? So love God, be filled daily with those great truths in the presence of the Holy Spirit, 
And as you go about life, this is what I think the command means. As you desire and love the truth of Scripture, for instance, oh, what a need being filled. Okay, good. So, love others by asking God to let you be a means to meet their need in unfolding truth in Scripture. Okay, as you long and thank God every day for the blessings that are on your table and there's food or there's health in your family, you like your rent paid or your mortgage paid or clothes on your back, so seek that with the same energy you do for yourself for others. Let the joy and the fulfillment that you are finding in God through the Gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit overflow and meet the needs of others. As you are being satisfied with the overflowing joy of who God is, that He has given to you, no matter what happens to you, you have an inheritance laid up for you in heaven that in the midst of whatever you experience, you are experiencing in the midst of tears, A deep hope. To the extent that happens, it's killing the idolatry, the love that money is what brings me happiness. This situation, if it changed, that would be. Everything's done. I could relax now the rest of my life. If only that. If only this. And if only the other thing. To the extent that that's broken, we are free in those areas. That day, that hour to love others. We're free to give money to missions for the glory of God and the salvation of others. Or isn't this where Jesus goes? It's broken and you're free to hand over a bunch of money to the innkeeper to take care of the guy you found half dead by the side of the road. As you have been Blessed by God in your times of grief, sorrow, deep pain at times. And this dynamic of loving God, He has been the healing balm to your soul. Okay, so seek, here's the command, love others. Seek that ongoing experience with your glorious Savior as you are reaching out as a means to help others in their time of sorrow. Love them as you love yourself. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul was getting at in 2 Corinthians 1 when he writes, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, And the God of all comfort, yeah, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Love others as you love yourself. As you long for other human beings to give you an ear, to understand you. Okay, if you don't long for that, I don't understand you. 
So, the command is, seek to be that for those other human beings, the one who gives an ear, seeks to understand them. As you enjoy God's blessings, it's part of life, and an important part of life, in your recreation, renewing of your soul, relaxation, there's patterns to life, as you like that, seek to be a means to help others who struggle with doing that. If you would wish that God would send people with medical help to you while you're lying bloody on the side of the road, we'll get there next week. Okay. Is that what you would wish? Here's the command. That's Jesus' illustration. So, seek to do that for other people who are laying bloody by the side of the road. See, if above all else in life, you are more thrilled about this one thing, I am saved from the wrath of God that I deserve through Jesus Christ. What mercy! And you think that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? So, seek that reality for other people out there who are lost and dying. See, I think that this loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving others as yourself, they're so connected in this way that as we are constantly and first, not second, first, then the second commandment, going to God vertically, it means that our bag of money, time, wisdom, things, and giving out to others, it means the more we will sense and know the truth that that bag is bottomless. Because God never runs dry in being the satisfaction of our hearts. You can never truly exhaust the happiness of God. Come, sir. The one, as we put last week together with this, just hear it. The one who chose us and thus changed us by new birth in the presence of the Holy Spirit, by showing to us, revealing to us the Father. How did He do that? While we were laying beaten and bloodied and sinful by the side of the eternal road of judgment, He has revealed the Father to us. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said to us, you've answered correctly. Do this.